we had a little schedule change so Roger could speak. And so it's been kind of sitting there, you know, and I know earlier this week I thought, I've really, I've got this. I've, I've been kind of here, you know, all this time. And, um, yeah, can I make it lower? I woke up this morning and thought, I ain't got this. <laughs> it's been, it's been a challenging, um, message and I, I, um, I kind of uh, thought this morning, why has this been so hard? And um, I finally realized it's the translation I've been using, New American Standard, which I, I love because it's, it's probably, I guess, get, Greg, isn't it like the most accurate that we've got as far as word for word? This particular chapter in Habakkuk has been really hard to understand in that respect. And so... This morning I decided, okay, um, I think I'll look at another translation. And so I did, and I thought, wow, this makes such so much more sense. So I've printed the New Living Translation for you all. And so I'm really just asking for some grace to kind of look at my notes, which are in a different translation, and this. I, there, there are things I like about this, uh, and there are things that I don't like about it, because... My heart is that today's message will not just be a history lesson, but it's something that we can take and try to begin to make a little bit of sense about what's going on in the world today. So let me, let me, I've got 10 copies, so y'all share. Um, we don't like to share on this side. Well, just tear it in half. <laughs> so uh, if you guys can extend a little bit of grace this morning as I try to, to motor through this um, between looking at this translation. Thanks, Jason. And going back and forth with my notes. Um, um, you know, this whole thing, I was telling somebody last week, this whole thing of being put in my face every day with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia uh, has been more stressful for me than the entire time of going through COVID, seriously. It just, not from, from the standpoint of trying to understand, God, what are, you, what are you doing in the world today? Because it just isn't making sense, you know. COVID was one of those things that's like, well, it's affecting everybody. But this thing in Ukraine is like, I've been scratching my head and I've been reading Habakkuk for basically this year. I've been reading three chapters of the Bible and um, trying to understand a little bit about, you know, God's ways and his purposes and just what's going on. And um, there's so much confusion depending on who you listen to uh, with what's going on in Ukraine. And, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, John Stone Street is the executive director for the Colson Center. And they were asking him about this whole situation. And he made this one statement in there that I thought, this guy is 
He's a wise man anyway. I listen to him a lot, but he made this one statement. He said, we have to remember that in this whole situation, in most situations, we need to remember that everyone on the good side is not good. And everyone on the bad side is not bad. Um, so whether you're a Ukrainian or Russian or a Democrat or a Republican or a this in the church or a that in the church, it's true, you know. So I think that's a, a wise word for us. So the things going over there are they are very difficult to watch and it's very difficult to emotionally um, follow through with a family uh, and just, you know, it can become just information or you can kind of try to enter into their situation and you realize how difficult it is for people over there. Now, uh, I'm going to lay on top of that. These are... These are fellow human beings, but there are also brothers and sisters in the family of God that are in a whole different situation that nobody's seeing. Open Doors just um, published their, you know, most persecuted nations thing um, maybe like three weeks ago, and I was stunned by this. Did you know, or what, do you know, what country is now the most persecuted country for Christians? Canada. <laughs> Believe it or not, Nigeria. In 2021 in Nigeria, an, a, a Christian wasn't persecuted, was murdered every two hours for the entire year. 5,000 Christians, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, murdered for what they believe. 80% of the Christians killed last year were in Nigeria. So it's bad to be in Ukraine. And it is bad to be a Christian in Nigeria. I mean, these are, these are just two situations in the world. You know, I didn't even try to look up any others. Um, that, that's enough of a burden right there. And so um, this book... Habakkuk has just, to me, uh, it's it's just one of those books that, like, I want to understand, Lord, you through this particular book. Um, and the questions that it begins with are so relevant because the first questions he asked was, how long, Lord, have I called for help and you do not answer? Very first question in the book. How long have I called for help? And you do. Why do you remain silent? Now, have you all prayed a prayer like that lately? Whether it be a personal situation or what's going on over in Ukraine, or I mean, to me, that question is like so pertinent for today. You know, we all have things that we're asking God about, and you know, or praying for people or situations, and there's no, there's no action. Are you, are you listening, God? Are you not listening? And then in the case like Nigeria and Ukraine, the second question he asked was, why do you make me see evil and look on wickedness and destruction? God, why, why do you make me look at this stuff? 
These are the questions that he's asked, you know. And um, I think there are things that they just speak to me. I'm, you know, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that today God can just help us understand a little bit more about who he is in, in, in this kind of time of not understanding maybe what he's allowing to happen in the world today. So um, that we would just have a, a, a renewed confidence in, in, his in his divine purposes. You know, he is the one who sees the beginning and the end. We don't. And so uh, just a quick review of the last message, which was the first part of chapter one uh, in, in Habakkuk. God answered him and he said, look, I've heard your prayers. My my divine silence doesn't mean that I'm divinely indifferent to what see he says he says I've kept watch over the evil and the good that's been going on in the nations and he says however my answer is not going to be what you think it is this is this is God you know he says I am um, going to tell you what the answer is and so he tells it I'm going to raise up a wicked generation. To answer your prayer, Habakkuk, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to discipline and punish your people and your country. And you know, so that's kind of where we left off last time through chapter through verse eleven. And then Habakkuk replies like this. He he says in verse twelve. Are you not from time everlasting, Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, Lord, have appointed them to deliver judgment. And you, O Rock, have destined them to punish. <clears throat> so, God speaks to him and he says, here's the answer. And um, it's not what... Habakkuk probably expected it to be. Um, and this is the thing about God. He, he does see the beginning from the end. He has so many creative ways of dealing with, with things, recompensing things uh, in, in ways that bring far more uh, fruit from it than we understand. And so this this puzzles him. This puzzles Habakkuk that that this is what is going on. So the question for him and for us today is: What do you do when you're confronted with a kind of a, a, a threat to your faith? Like God, I see this is who you say you are, but this doesn't seem like the way you would deal with something. When you see what looks like inaction on his part. Um, and it just doesn't seem like it goes along with his character. And so, um, you know, I was reading a, a, a sermon by Ray Stedman the other other month, and he lists four things that you need to do when you find yourself in this kind of place. It's like, okay, God, I understand as best I know that you re revealed to me who you are, but I don't understand why you're not doing something about it, or if you are doing something about it, this doesn't seem like it goes along with your character. 
And so Ray Stedman says, the first thing to do is just stop, just get out of the emotion of the situation. Stop and think for a minute. Back out and don't panic about it, you know, and, and let that thing overwhelm you and, you know, kind of begin to erode your faith. And then he says, what you need to do is restate to yourself who God's revealed himself to you to be. Um, what are the basic things you know about God? You know, and so that's something that we we all, I, I mean, I have learned to do that myself because it's like, okay, this isn't making sense. But okay, I know this about God. God says this about himself. He says, in, in, I think it's in Exodus, he self-describes him. He says, the Lord, the Lord, as he walks past Moses, he says, he's gracious. He says, he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger. That I know about him. He also says, the guilty will not go unpunished. Okay, I got it. I understand that. God is good. That is who he is. The Bible says that righteousness and justice are the foundations of how he rules. That's the foundation of his throne. And out of that place, loving kindness and truth is what comes forth from his throne. Okay, I got that. So, I think, all right, what else about God do I know? I know that God is light. There's no darkness in God. There's no shadow. There's no like little way that he sneaks in and does something that's not totally right. That's just who he is. He brings to bear the truth. The truth goes forth from his throne. No matter what it is, it's, and it's, it's, the, it's the right truth. It's not, a, it's not an opinion. It's based on what he sees. Um, the New Testament also says that God is love. Okay, in other words, God chooses to be emotionally involved with his creation. He didn't just speak it. It's out there and some theology say, okay, and it just runs on its own. No. He chose to be emotionally connected to his his creation into us, his people. And so there's the tension for God. He is emotionally involved and yet he is righteous. And therefore the great solution was I, God, have got to buy back this. I've got to redeem it because there's no way that I can keep these two things in balance. That's what we know about God. God also says in the New Testament that he is spirit. And so, okay, God sees the scene, everything we can see and more that we can't see in the world, but he also sees the invisible world, which took me a long time to realize it is more real than this world. It is more real than this world. And we will one day, we will know that. It will be proven. Um, and so he sees it all. He sees the motives of a, of a heart, uh, even before an action or anything. This is who God is. And so you've got to kind of back up and remember these things and then take a deep breath. So when you know that, then the third step is take what you know and then try to apply it to the situation. Um, and hopefully some clarity will come. But if it doesn't come, 
If there if there's no a new understanding or peace that comes, so what do you do then? Do you panic? Now, Ray says, you just rest in faith. You rest in faith. Well, that's easy. It just comes out of your mouth so easy. <laughs> you just rest in faith, right? Has anybody got any family situations that you just rest in faith? No. You have to keep reminding yourself, right, who he is. And that he's faithful. And that he only does good things. Okay. So, Habakkuk remembers this about the character of God, and he remembers this promise that he made. That's why he can say this, we will not die. He says, okay, God, you made a covenant with the people. So you're not going to abandon us forever. Even though he's got these Babylonians that are going to come down and just wreak havoc on this nation and discipline them because of the folly of not returning to God when he, when Jeremiah and all the other prophets have called him to for years and years. So he understands that. And he also understands, okay, God, you've chosen Babylon to be your chosen instrument to do this. So... That's where we are with this. And then so he continues on with this. And I'm going to read this out of New American Standard. If you want to follow through on the other one, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Starting in chapter two, chapter 1, verse 13. So he, he's, got, he's, got, he's got an answer to his first question. And so Habakkuk then says this, speaking to God, your, eye, your eyes are too pure to look at evil, and you cannot look at harm favorably. Why do you look favorably at those who deal treacherously? Speaking about the Babylonians. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are joyful. Therefore, they offer sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? So God answers this question for him and gives him some understanding about where he's at. But then it creates a other, another whole question. It's like, okay, God, I, I accept you're going to use these wicked people to discipline us. But wait a minute. That's not like you. You can't even look on things that are wicked. Your eyes are too pure, and yet you're going to use somebody that's more wicked than us to deal with us? Have you ever been corrected by somebody that is like, who are you to tell me about so-and-so, you know? It's kind of hard to take that, isn't it? 
well, that's where he is with this thing, you know. And he's like, look, these guys are way, way worse than us. So it just, these, there's these three quick questions that just pour out from him. It's not like, it's not like when Moses was like, oh, um, no, Abraham, when Abraham was apologetic about uh, talking to, to the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, like, well, you know, maybe 45, and he, I apologize, uh, how about 40? You know, he just blasts out with three quick questions here. Why this? Why this? Why this? Doesn't even wait for an answer on these things. And, you know, I mean, it's like, why do you look favorably on those who deal treacherously? In other words, why do you allow the wicked to succeed? I mean, we see this all the time. We see it with nations, you know. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? This one, I remember, this was years ago. I put in parentheses in pencil under my, under that verse in my Bible. I said, really? With a question mark. And finally, now I know why I put it there. Because do you think that the Israelites were more righteous than the Babylonians? Let me read a couple things. It's perspective. It's perspective. Because we know from the New Testament that um, in Romans it says, how many are righteous? None are righteous. Not, not only are they not righteous, they, nobody even seeks God. And so here's the, here's the relative part. Israel knows God's law. They know his expectation for relationship. And they know his expectation for how they should relate to each other. How much more is their disregard and falling short than those who don't? The Babylonians were wicked sinners. They were idolaters and they didn't know the true and living God. Doesn't excuse their sin, but does explain their, their behavior. The Jews claimed to know the Lord, and they were sinning against the very law they claimed to believe. One guy said it this way, sin in the life of a believer is far worse than sin in the life of an unbeliever. When God's people deliberately disobey him, they sin against a flood of light and an ocean of love. That is, I have taken that to heart because it's very easy to just look at other people and make a judgment and forget all the grace that's been poured forth for me. And so, um, there's a, much is given, much is required and expected. We, we walk in a, in a light and an understanding um, that it's, we need to just be careful about throwing stones at unbelievers. <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's the point of all of that. Um, so he asked these three questions and then he goes through this explanation about you know, uh, all these people and, you know, you're just, we're just like fish in the sea and there's there's no rulers. And it's funny because uh, I think it was this past Wednesday, we uh, were at the prayer meeting. There was a little, a little short discussion about free will. Do you remember? It came up in the prayer meeting about everybody wants free will. 
And I had to smile to myself because, um, yeah, everybody wants free will and everybody has a fallen nature. Those things just don't go together too well because we don't tend to use free will, you know, in the most righteous way unless, you know, you're walking in the grace and forgiveness of God. Free will for us, we don't want to forgive. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So anyway, um, he ends this whole barrage of questions with this, um, basically with kind of another uh, paraphrase of the first, how long, O oh Lord? Because it's like he, he asked, this, are they going to just continue? Are they just going to continue rolling over nations? Is, will, this, will this never end? And that's the question that he asked. Um, so he had no answer to all of this. And so he makes this decision. He goes on and then he says this in beginning in chapter one. We're going to try to go through chapter two, which has been really hard for me to uh, honestly just be candid with you. It's been very hard to understand um, in New American Standard uh, as far as trying to apply it to today. And, and that's my real hope for us today is that we can glean and see um, how this chapter is so relevant for today and not just a thing about history. Um, so Habakkuk asked these four questions and then he's like, okay, and then he says, okay, I, I just don't understand this. And he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what God will speak to me and how I'm may reply when I am reproved. In other words, how he will answer my complaint. So he's determined that he's going to watch and wait. He complained to God that he didn't understand why he was using these people. And he didn't know how to resolve this between what seemed what God's character was and what he had chosen to do. And so... That's what, that's what happens at this particular point. So I, I'm going to read through chapter 2 and I will abandon my notes and switch over to this page here. So we're all, all on the same page with this. So this is the Lord's second reply to this quandary about this is who you say you are and your actions don't seem to line up with who you are. The Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous. Greg, your Bible will say wine. I don't know. It depends on the translation. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls uses the translation as wine, which makes it very hard to understand this verse. <laughs> Wealth is tre treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, 
What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. How much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now also the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo complaints. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of Heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrows await you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so that they can gloat, so that you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forest of Lebanon, now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now your terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man, so, or, cast an, or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish! to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To a speechless stone image that you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple that all the earth be silent before him. <clears throat> well, we don't know really how long Habakkuk had to watch and to wait. Um, and that's kind of, I think, part of the challenge of uh, trying to interact with God. It's like sometimes I think he just wants to see how, how interested are you in an answer? How, how, how long are you willing to wait? How long will you be expecting? How long will you um, just forget that you asked that question? <laughs> but God does respond to him. And he, he says, I want you to wait. Wait. I want you to wait. I want you to write the vision down. So what's the vision? This was another question that I had. And as I read through the different commentaries, it's like, okay, um, some people say the vision is in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. His answer to the first question, because it talks about um, running 
And so there's a there's a caution there is the Babylonians are coming. You need to watch and you need to wait and you need to be ready to run. Um, uh, as I've thought about it, it's also all the things that follow are also a vision. And so in, in, as I've thought about it and prayed about it, it's like both these things are things God is really trying to show Habakkuk and his people throughout the ages. Uh, one is for a history reason and one is for us to understand how he's de- how he is and will continue to deal with nations. Um, and so um, I see both of them as being part of the vision. Um, it's interesting here because um, there, there, there's just a very important instructions here for us to learn. He has, he has appointed a time for all his purposes and for their fulfillment. He cannot be hurried. His schedule has, has been made before the foundation of the world. And when the appointed time comes, all the visions that God has given will be accomplished. All his plans will be fulfilled. And that's how it's going to be. Um, so this chapter's got so much in it. I, you will see that I have uh, bolded some things because those are in those are those are the woes. The ones that I read that says what sorrow awaits you are the woes. There are five woes that are given. Um, now, if you don't know what a woe is, it's very much different from a blessing. <laughs> if if the Bible says you're blessed. If God says, blessed are you, and there's so many things that he says we're blessed in, it's a good thing. But if you get a woe, it's a a bad thing. A woe basically is a reflection of God's righteous anger. In other words, the anger that is absolutely right to be angry about, that is what a woe is. Jesus gave the Pharisees woes, and now God is giving these five woes that, um, unfortunately, in this translation, it sounds like it's just for individuals. In New American Standard, it really applies to nations. And that's the point I'm really trying to get across here as we look out and see what's going on in the world today. Uh, Yes, God is righteously angry when an individual does these things, but how much more when it's a whole people group or a nation? Whether it be the the nation itself or the leadership of that nation, we know from the way God has dealt with his own people, Israel, that oftentimes the whole nation suffers because of the leadership and the kingship of that particular king at the time. And so the, the leaders of a nation have a huge responsibility um, before the Lord for the welfare of their people. And I think less and less leaders in today's nations understand that, um, much less le- us leaders in the church. that you know, We have a real responsibility uh, you know, for the, the people that God's given us. And so um, there's so much in this there have been thousands of sermons just written about verse four <laughs> because it's quoted in Romans 
and Galatians and Hebrews. The just shall live by, by faith. But it's a companion verse. You know, that's the only part we ever remember. And I think you've got to remember, it says, Behold, as for the proud one, his heart is not within, right within him. There are two kinds of people that God is pointing out that he sees in the earth. The proud one whose heart's not right within him and the one who trusts God in his faithfulness. There's two kinds of people. God makes it too simple, doesn't he? Is it this or this? It's black or white? You know, you can either serve God or you can serve mammon. <laughs> he just boils it down to make it just a choice. You know, I found this verse really nice. Even though I try to walk in faithfulness to God, there are times my heart's not right within me. And out of the gentleness and goodness of God, He points that out. He says, your heart's not right about this. doesn't mean I've lost my salvation, but it's like, oh, there's some pride there somehow or another that I have that opinion or thought or whatever it is. And so I... I think we like to just separate it and just as a believers, it's like, okay, the just shall live by faith. That's all we got to know. <laughs> but it's it's linked. You know, it's a, there's a contrast there. And so um, there's, there's so much that can be said just about this verse. Uh, so many preachers have spent so many hours in sermons on this. And... You know, it's it's one of those verses that everything turns on this once Christ's work was completed, once Christ redeemed his people, everything turns on this verse. The just shall live by faith, and the proud will find out your heart's not right. And you've been weighed in the balance and found lacking. And so that's where we find ourselves. And this particular verse is what's called a hinge verse or a pivot verse. This is the verse where the whole book of Habakkuk changes from one aspect of confusion and doubt to one of beginning to have growing, growing confidence in who God is. Um, And so that's about all I want to say about it. I mean, we could spend months on just this one verse and everything that's behind it, but I really want to try to get to these, these woes um, and see if the Lord can bring us all some understanding because I, ha- I had it on Wednesday but I'm not sure I've got it today and so I'm just really trusting God would give us some understanding about Lord, okay I, I, I'm beginning to see how this works now with nations and oh, I can see how this nation's been this way and and and, and know that whether it's now or whether it's later, there will be a time of answering for it. There will be a time of answering. So anyway, the things that we need to understand, there are two types of people. Um, God sees things that, that arise with him, within him a righteous anger, and that's these five woes that are described here. Um, they, they are applied to Babylon, in, in, in history but they are true for every nation that goes the way of Babylon for every nation that chooses 
Um, the folly, folly of not recognizing God, of not following God's ways, of not living in the principles that God gives us. So, and, and we can see it, it, it happened in Babylon, it happened in Persia, it happened in Greece, it happened in Rome, it may be happening in Russia, it will happen to the United States unless some grand thing happens. You can look at our country and find these woes operating in our own country, and that's scary. So. Um, we'll find out later in chapter 3 we pray in wrath remember mercy God that's a great prayer for us today um, so let's try to kind of go through these things very quickly um, and just take a look at it <clears throat> this is 11 pages I'm really trying to cut this down this morning <laughs> Let's look at these very quickly. <clears throat> Woe number one, or what will be called on your on your bolded thing, it's um, what sorrow awaits you, whether it be a nation or you, you as an individual or whomever. Woe to who increases what is not his. This one was really hard for me to understand on a on a on a, a nation thing because it talks about making yourself rich with loans or heavy with loans and I don't understand international finance but somehow or another we're guilty in this in this area but basically um, coming to these like having things that are yours but they're really not yours because you owe somebody for them. Okay, does that make sense? That's about as simple as I can put it. Um, uh, God doesn't like that, especially when it's done dishonestly. Um, and so the person that lives by this philosophy, I will get everything I can get, and it doesn't matter how I get it. I'm just going to get it, you know. Unprovoked. I'm talking about the government right now. <laughs> Unprovoked aggression, and we've seen that in Russia. Unprovoked, woe against unprovoked aggression and greed. Increasing what's not yours. Oh, I like those resources over there in Ukraine. I think I'll take them. That makes God angry. It's unjust economics to take something unlawfully that's not yours that's the point of that first one woe number two woe to him who gets evil gain for his house or woe to you woe to the one that builds big houses um, this one's really interesting because he doesn't like people that trust in security that they make underneath for us as believers our trust has to be in God and you know you got to keep reminding yourself that in, in, the, in, in my younger days when I was running my business 
I wanted to save money. I wanted to save money to protect myself in the future. I wanted, I, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hoard it until I feel like I've got enough. God, you can count on me. I can take care of myself. Well, you know, I've lost enough that now I know that's not how it works. Underneath of it is God. I don't care if I lose it all. You're going to take care of me. You're my protection. You're my security. You're my provision. If you have saved me from sin, why am I worried about something to eat? There's no more security than being secure from the judgment of God. Everything else is just icing on the cake. And it's easy to say that if there's another thing to live it. You know, we're supposed to be wise stewards of what we've got, but the motive behind it needs to understand that under it all is God is my provider. I think it's in Deuteronomy, it says, I am the one that gives you the power to make wealth. So even if you've done well, it's God's favor that you've been able to do well. You know, it's giving you a good mind. He lets you work at a wonderful place for years and years. <laughs> so, you know, we just need to be grateful and realize if you have one car, you're in the top 5% of wealthy people in the world. But we tend to look around and say, oh man, they got three. Oh, they got an extra garage. We, we really don't have very much. I'm just afraid I'm going to be reduced to having to get There you go. <laughs> love, people just love that crumbs off your table. <laughs> and so, it's fruitless to build false security. There's nobody that was more secure than Nebuchadnezzar. But look what happened to him. It didn't last, did it? God taught him a lesson. And, he, and thankfully, you know, he realized and learned that lesson. Woe number three. Woe to those who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption. Woe to those who build towns with bloodshed or like slave labor. Those who trust in violence to achieve what they want. You know what? God don't like that. He doesn't like that. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen wait in vain. God needs to be in it if it's going to last. You know, on, on, the, on the handout I sent out, you've got three verses that are printed in red. That's, that's because they're like key verses that everybody knows, and they're also key verses that we like. And one of them is this verse 14. For the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful verse. And you know, I, it's like, I read that verse and I say, well, you know what? There's a lot of people that still don't know about the glory of the Lord. So when is this going to happen? And that's part of the vision. It will happen in the end. In the end, everybody will see the glory of the Lord, which is just 
the weightiness of who he is, his majesty, his omnipotence, and his power. Um, so that is that particular one. Woe number four. Uh, woe to the one who makes his neighbors drink or get drunk so that they can look on their nakedness. This was an interesting verse. Um, as I kind of reflected on it, um, I felt like there was there's. It's not just about drinking and get and getting people into this place. To me, it's like the principle behind it is whatever whatever a nation does or a person does to to expose somebody to to make them more transparent than they really want to be uh, for evil reasons or for advantage to take advantage of them. God doesn't like that. You know, it's one thing just to look at it from just the the body sexual side. There's a whole other thing of the heart motivation that you're really trying to get somebody to kind of show their hand so that you can take advantage of them and expose them in some way. I think that brings righteous anger for the Lord. And so there there and people that do that, there there's an arrogance against other human beings that you would do that, that you would kind of walk into that kind of place and, and be that kind of person or nation that would do would do this. And so this is a, another thing that you you really got to kind of be careful um, not to be exposing people in this particular way, either their thoughts or their person. And then lastly, um, which is just throughout the Bible, woe against idolatry. Raising up something that you trust in or that you believe in or that you look to for security um, other than the one true God. And there are, there are so many things that can fall into this um, category, but that's the basis of this particular these particular woes. Is, and today, hopefully, I just kind of wanted to try to raise our awareness to see okay there, there are things here that move God's heart in a in a bad way and I need to be able to recognize that they're going on in the world and when I see that I know he's angry about this but he's he's not doing anything you know he's not you know he's not He's not putting down this nation or he's not he's letting them succeed or whatever. That's where there is this call to patience, waiting, and trusting that he's going to deal with it. It may not be as swift as we want it to, but he will deal with it. And so that that is the hope for today's message is that, that we would see that there is going to be a time of reckoning. You know, that... Um, And that, that it's costly. It's costly when man has free will. When nations have free will, when they use it, um, you know, for evil gain. And it's interesting to me because I think it was um, Mark Twain, uh, he, he made this, um, what was it? Uh, History doesn't necessarily, how does it go? History doesn't, necessarily repeat itself but it rhymes and so 
and that's what happens is is every nation seems to come up and you know as they grow and they grow and they become more and more dominating they become proud but the heart never changes and so we tend to make the same mistakes every nation seems to make the same mistakes and you know the lord the lord deals with them and they from being number one they're moved down the ladder um and that's what happens it's costly because people are people are killed people are hurt um you know um buildings are destroyed the earth suffers um God sometimes uses nature to answer. Uh, you know, we have things that happen nature-wise, and we find ourselves in these places where people suffer because of the arrogance of nations. And then when God decides, I'm going to deal with this, people suffer again because of how He has to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's just been interesting that um, in the kind of the chaos we find ourselves today, um, that we can only see the things here in the earth, but God is spirit, and He, I have to remind myself that He sees it all. Uh, and, you know, there are times when God does reveal the knowledge of who He is. Sometimes it's to an individual. I think we've all had those experiences of you are really a holy God, you know, or a church may lay hold of it, or even a nation at times. But in light of eternity, sometimes we can we just can hold on to it for a little bit, and then you know we come back to it. But there there will be a time when everybody knows that. And um, I think that this is a fitting answer, the last verse in this chapter, because also there will be this time when all the, whether it be a, a mighty person or a mighty nation, when they set their power beside the knowledge of who God is, what the, what the perfect response is, is the last verse in this particular chapter but the Lord is in his holy temple that all the earth keep silence and that is kind of where you know we have to come to we have to come to this place that like it says in Psalm 27 wait for the Lord be strong let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And so I don't know about you, but this is where I am with the things I'm watching go on in places like Ukraine, Nigeria, and other places that um, we know, China. You pick your place. Maybe it's even part of your family. In the meantime, I'm going to join Habakkuk. I'm going to stand at the guard post I'm going to station myself on the watchtower and I'm going to keep watch and see, see what he has to say to me. Let's pray. Lord, we're just little people. 
with little minds and little hearts. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd be so gracious to continue to teach us your ways. And Lord, having taught us your ways, give us the grace, the strength, and the passion to walk in them. Give us discernment today, Lord, to, to understand what you're about in our individual lives, in our families, in our churches, in our nations. Uh, and Lord, where we don't have discernment, give us the grace to wait patiently and to trust you. Know that you make all things good and you make all things right in the end, Lord. So we look to you, Father, to uphold your righteousness, to, to break forth in light, and Lord, that you would continue to show your loving kindness to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.